separated from the world and just being stuck and alone with my thoughts. But something great came out of it. I began to create music. I liked writing poetry. I liked drawing. I liked telling stories. Anything that allowed me to express myself in a way that could separate me from who I am. Beyond Ourselves is a podcast where I, Taylor Camille, share stories by those living a life fully and beyond any stigma or perceived limitations a health condition may have on their day-to-day lives. For season two of this series, we're highlighting stories from Black men, the stigmas around caring for their health and bodies beyond fitness and examining masculinity. As always, please share and subscribe if you haven't already. Today we're speaking with Robdarius Brown, otherwise known by his stage name, Robin X. He's a rapper, activist, anti-bullying advocate, and he also has albinism. Albinism is a rare group of genetic disorders that causes skin, hair, or eyes to have little or no color. Albinism affects about 1 in 18,000 to 20,000 people in the United States alone, but albinism can affect people of all races, and there are different kinds of albinism. Having grown up in Memphis, Tennessee, Robin had a lot of influences that affected his music, and if you stick around towards the end of the episode, you'll hear a taste. He recently dropped an EP, The Mental Interlude. I linked everything in the show notes of this episode for easy finding. Um, so I hope you'll take a listen and excited for you to hear his story. Here's Robin. Hey everyone, my name is Robin X. I am an anti-bullying advocate, human rights champion, and entertainer. I have ocular albinism and I'm happy to be here today. I'm so happy to have you and how would you describe ocular albinism to others or how how has it been described to you growing up? Describing it to others is essentially stating that I like all pigmentation down to its fundamental factors. I am clear. I I am clear. I have no pigmentation whatsoever. There are forms of albinism that do have pigmentation whether it be in the skin, hair, or eyes, I lack in all areas. And it means that you can be more prone to sunburn or any other forms of skin cancer. Your, your body reflects light back out. Instead of absorbing it in and honing it, it just shoots it right back out, which is why if you put a light on a person with albinism, it just bounces off. Also, without pigment, the light can hit the, the back of our eyes, which is where you see the red-eyed al- albino person or person with albinism. That's where that comes from because there's not any protection there. We're not protected by melanin of any kind. So I can describe it that way. But essentially, the clear thing, it usually makes sense to a lot of people. Oh, you're clear. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And what was it like growing up with this condition? It was tough. It was tough because you're different. You're different than everyone else. You're different than your own family in a lot of ways. And I grew up in a black household, black neighborhood, black schools. And and, and people don't know how to deal with difference. No one teaches them how to deal with 
what to do if you see someone that isn't quite like you. So out of curiosity, they make fun. Children don't know any better. They take the opportunity to make jokes because that's the only way they know how to cope with most things is to ha-ha at it. It makes it make more sense to them. So I've faced a lot of discrimination throughout my early years. Having albinism, it led to depression, suicidal tendencies, and really I became a recluse, separated from the world and just being stuck and alone with my thoughts. But something great came out of it. I began to create music. I liked writing poetry. I liked drawing. I liked telling stories. Anything that allowed me to express myself in a way that could separate me from who I am, if that makes a bit of sense. Yeah, definitely. I I guess it was the typical separate the artist from the art, even though that's almost impossible to do. That was the form of creation and communication that I learned to take. Mm-hmm. And I was going to say, I mean, did you grow up in Tennessee? Yes, ma'am. So already I feel like you're in a state that's known for music and known for its entertainers. And I, I just thought it was so cool to see you know, how your journey with albinism has influenced your music. What was that journey like and how did you get your your start? Of course, growing up in the belly that created (laughs) most of your favorite genres, I was influenced by a lot of things. I was influenced by alternative, alternative mm, being Corn, Three Days Grace, System of a Down, Breaking Benjamin, Evanescence, Everywhere, I was influenced by your Al Greens, your your Ray Charles. I was influenced by everyone. I took things from everywhere, not just hip-hop, but in the hip-hop lane, I was influenced by your Tupacs, your Biggie Smalls, your Wu-Tang Clans, your DMXs, your Onyxes, your Eminems, what have you. I was exposed to a lot of music due to the fact that my mother was a musician as well. So... It was by proxy. She loved music. I loved music. Sometimes it was in different tastes, but it ended up culminating into one huge package. Me having album also allowed me to essentially channel that that pain that I that I spoke about before. So these feelings of depression, these feelings of anxiety, these feelings of uncertainty, of rage, of misunderstanding. I could express them in a way where people could take it at face value. And I thought to myself, if people would only see me for the boy who rapped, that would be more than just seeing me as the white boy in school. So it started there for me. How would you describe your sound? Because watching a lot of your videos and listening to a lot of your your music, I hear a lot of Eminem. I hear a lot of the people you listed but I, I want to know, how would you describe it? I would describe it as a fusion of, of genres. I wouldn't want to be defined by one if I could, but if I had to break it down to its minimalistic form, it's rock rap, it's trap metal, it's a fusion of everything that makes me up. 
So the gritty Memphis streets that I was raised around, the things that I saw, the influences of, of gangs and violence and the struggle to be left behind and thrown out to the vultures, but also the intelligence of spreading a message and having the intellect to save this this city that seems to be crumbling on itself from the inside. This underbelly, I could fuse everything in a sense, showing that I am not just the kid from the ghetto, nor am I the young man who's pure intellect. I've dabbled in both and these psychological pieces dance on my chessboard of a mind for dominance a lot of the time. Yeah. And then on the the point of community, how did you find community, whether it be within the Black community or within the Black albino community or in the albino community? How have you been able to kind of define that for yourself? And what what do you look for when you're looking for community? I think a lot of the times it just kind of stumbles on you. For a long time, I stopped looking for places to fit in because I knew I almost fit nowhere. So when I ran across people that shared my like-mindedness or had an understanding and empathy for my situations, whether they be past, present, or future, that's where I slid in. I think that's where most people should slide in. I don't think anyone should try and force themselves inside of any form of a community, whether they be close to you at heart or not culminating places that help you grow as a person and that extend you as a person, therefore allowing you to show yourself in a very generous and an unyielding light. Yeah. That's my take on it. Do you think that our kind of obsession with having community limits us from, you know, genuine connections with other people that we might have something greater than what we're looking for in common with them? Yes, I think that that is true. Of course, you can find all kinds of community where you can slide in and meet all type of different people. But a lot of the time, we don't get to the root of ourselves first. And when you get to the root of yourself first, there are things that you that you have to learn that only you can show yourself. There are only places only you can grow in alone. And when you figure out what you want, whether that be in life, what you would like out of people and what you want from yourself, it attracts people to you with that like-mindedness because you separate yourself from all these different areas of the world in a sense. So people are able to gravitate towards you that could teach you something or could find you a place of peace. I think we try so hard to fit in and try to find places where it's the easiest for us to to blend in that we forget that we are an individual. And in most cases, regardless of what you do, that community will eventually either outgrow you or you will outgrow it due to us not knowing who we are as people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. It does right. take those like moments of you being so real with yourself of like, who am I and who am I associating with? And like, what is this all about for you to really like surround yourself with the things that are truly meant for you, not just out of convenience. And I, I do think sometimes we are so desperate for community, you know, people who will be 
are yes men. And it's like, I don't know, I've learned so much more from people that will check me than people who will just like sing my praises. Exactly. You know? Exactly. I definitely agree. Yeah. So when we talk about albinism, obviously a lot is tied to appearance and tied to a lot of ignorance too, of just not knowing what it is or not knowing, like you mentioned, even as kids, not knowing how to address something that is different than what you're used to. How have you learned to embrace this condition, talk about it with others, or even just ignore the ignorant questions you might get? Hmm. I think the simplest and the shortest answer would be first, thankfully, my music allowed me to create an alter ego-like figure, which that being the Robin X character, that person is different from your Robin or your Rob Darius. I akin it to Spider-Man and Peter Parker. Mm -hmm. Now, I guess, which I'm so happy to say, Miles Morales in Spider-Man, where you're allowed to be this character that is different from you, but allows you to grow as a person through the shell of it. Mm -hmm. My music allowed me to do that and learn to accept myself. I essentially got to a place where I was just trying to be the most me I could possibly be. Be this stronger person, even when I wasn't strong. Be this witty, this smart person, even when I lacked the knowledge. It allowed me to grow as a person and allowed me to create morals and understand things about myself that otherwise I wouldn't have known because I got in such an uncomfortable place. I was a person that I wasn't in life. And it culminated in the growth of Rob Darius or your Robin. And that allowed me to accept myself for who I am. If you're going to stare at me, now I got to give you something to look at. <laughs> I might spike my hair up. I might braid it to the front so it looks like goat horns. I don't know. I'll do whatever with me that will allow me to shine like the light that I am. If I know you're going to stare, then I must give you something to look at. It became that for me. Where does Robin X come from? What does the X stand for? Does it stand for anything? Where did the name come from? Well, that question has multiple answers. So the simple thing is the the X is, it shows that I'm getting rid of who I was to evolve and to show my power, to, to show who I am. I'm your Malcolm X's, your DMX's, X-rated. I'm whatever the X needs to be. The X is radical. The X is unpredictable. The RX, the rebirth and the extremeness of said rebirth. That's what it is. The X is ready always. And I use Malcolm X first because he is the X. And so my X means that much. Obviously, my name is Rob Darius. I didn't want to get too far away from that, even though that's not a, a name I'm happy about, you know, Rob Darius. It's fine, you know. It's I love that my name. birth name. So. <laughs> It's, it's too long, man. <laughs> it's like a lot, like nine letters in there. And But separating myself from myself, I had to find an identity close to that that improved on the formula. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
when do you feel or have you felt your most vulnerable? You talk about your alter ego and how that helped you get through a lot of situations. But when, if you can, think about those times when you do feel your most vulnerable. Are you, are we talking present or past or just? Hmm. We could do both. I think both are important. Am I, am I most vulnerable now? It usually comes from a place of feeling out of control. I'm a pretty collected person. I self-reflect. I am always in tune with my mind and with my spirit, with my heart. So when something like that is out of whack, I feel unhinged. I feel unhinged now. Of course, depression never went away. I've been dealing with depression, a chronic depression since I was a child. Around the age of eight is, I think, I became the most aware. Those, those suicidal tendencies, they creep up. They creep up on anybody when you're down. It's almost, I like to interpret it as this sleek individual that just slides in and out like a shadow. You don't really notice that they're there until you do. So when I feel my most vulnerable, I feel the most vulnerable when I'm out of control, when I'm when I'm losing that fight, when I don't notice that that entity is there and I can't capture it, I can't capture it in my grasp again. The best thing I know to do is write it all down, jot it, go in the studio, record it, find some outlet to put it all to so that my pain could heal someone else's. Now, I'd, I'd rather end this on a higher note. Sometimes being at your most vulnerable is a good thing. Those pains and hardships allow you to learn things that in other situations you wouldn't have been able to. So sometimes your most vulnerable can come from you not knowing exactly what to do and finding it right out of the gate sometimes that is needed to help you on your directions wherever you're trying to go in life yeah yeah it's so true and I something I talk about with a lot of people this season is just especially for black men not feeling like you're able to be vulnerable right that you have to have this like masculine hard outer shell and you can't show what's underneath but moving away from that and like just embracing like I'm not always gonna be you know super strong or super available like we all have our weak points and just finding room for black men to feel like they can be vulnerable and that they can let that out because like you said you have to express it or else it will be all consuming So how would you define masculinity Mm -hmm. for yourself? For me, I think masculinity has such a toxic indication. A lot of the times we're told told and we're taught by media, by previous generations that a man is this rough and gruff, always has the world on his shoulders kind of person, takes no breaks, has no ease isn't in touch with his feminine side we're told all of these all of these things but that's not entirely true true masculinity to me is being able to be emotional be vulnerable and be available at all times 
and also be able to be strong when you're needed to be strong, but knowing when the weight load is too much. It isn't the type of beard that you can grow. It isn't the type of chest hair that you have. It isn't the muscles. It isn't whether you can punch a hole through a tree. It's none of those things. True masculinity is being able to balance out what we all have swirling around inside. It's truly being in touch with not only the outward exterior, but being in touch with the inside. Being someone that's also able to communicate and love and also protect. Be a sword and a shield, not just the broadness and the sharpness of the blade, but being the overshedding, overbearing heaviness of a shield. That's what I believe. I believe that true masculinity comes when you're truly in tune with who you are. Yeah, that was a good definition. I like that. I really like that. On the relationship front, I can imagine it's difficult dating. I just wanted to candidly talk about what it's like when you're meeting people and explaining your condition to them. What is that like for you? Mm -hmm. My condition isn't as severe as others. Mm -hmm. And that's not me downplaying it because it can get rough in a lot of places. But for me, a lot of the times people either look over it or I've gotten to a place where I deal with it kind of efficiently. Like I have low vision, so I can't see far away. It can be difficult most times going to restaurants, the small print. So what do I do? I might not have my magnifying glass or most times I don't even wear my glasses. So I just take out my phone. I zoom, I go to the little camera. I zoom in, I read over the menus and they don't even think, they don't even notice that it happened. They don't give it a second thought until like, you know, for you to have low vision, you're like never having your glasses. I don't ever see you squinting. Like what's, what's the deal with that? And I'm like, I just found ways to work around myself. And so with me kind of knowing how to deal with myself, they don't really have to. Of course, there is help. I explain everything that being a person with albinism entails. Hey, I can't be in the sun for an hour or I'll scotch if I don't have sunscreen. I burn easily. I never tan. Once you believe it. I have nystagma, so my eyes, they move back and forth. It's not that I'm not paying attention to you. If you see them jumping all over the place, it's a nerve that's pretty weak. I mean, will 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 our kids have albinism? I don't know. That depends. <laughs> Do you have a gene or not until we can detect it? We don't know. <laughs> so it's it's like that, but it's it's not as strenuous as other situations. I can't speak for all other people with albinism, mm -hmm. but for me, I've just found workarounds. I don't, I don't drive as of yet. So that can be a thing that can make, make a person feel more insecure because you don't want to feel like a burden. You don't want to feel like you're always dependent on your partner or anyone for that matter to make sure that you're okay. And I guess down to the nitty gritty, it can be kind of an insecurity because everyone has this picture perfect 
person that they create in their head. I mean, we shouldn't, but we do. That's just natural. It's life. So you're always wondering, man, would they trade me out if they could get that? Like, am I their type? You know what I mean? It's one thing to be selective of who you may want to date. It's another thing to not have any selection to go on. No one's prepped you for this. All right. You didn't you didn't prep for this. You didn't. You're telling a story, a fib, if you if you would, if you said you did. <laughs> so that can come and go all around the world because you're like, man, my condition, would they want some someone more normal? someone more dependable, what they want, someone who doesn't have these small shortcomings. And that's just our minds usually working against us. A lot of time, when you can find you a great person, they accept you for who you are. They look past the physical shell and they only see who we are. If you are lucky to find someone like that, hold on to them. I know that this has been very long-winded, but relationship, that's like a whole it's beefy with the relationship. I love that though. I think you hit on so many good points that are just like, yeah, there's little things and then there's bigger things. And yeah, all of those questions come up. Yeah. Do you have the gene? I don't know. <laughs> like, who knows? We're not even at that stage yet. <laughs> so yeah, I can only, I can only imagine that would be a part two. <laughs> it's like, I know I got long winded. <laughs> yeah. I can only imagine. The other thing that came to mind when you were talking about that is just, and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but I think about conversations you may have, you know, and I think about this with my my cousins who are biracial, but also, but are outwardly white, like they don't look like they're black at all. But I think about times mm-hmm. where you might have been around where people are saying foul things about black people and because they feel safe around you or because they are unsuspecting of you and times when that might have happened I think about yeah I just think has that been something that you've experienced or yes yes it's and that that feeling is insulting on a bunch of levels all right Right. first of all let's just get this cat out of the bag why do you think just because my my tone is a bit lighter that you can just go in on my on my people my community, on, on my home, right. on my heritage, on, on everything that, that I built up. Do you feel like I'm less of that because of my complexion? And two, if you feel like this, why do you talk to me? Is it, again, rooted in my lack of melanin? What is that? Like, do you think that this won't go a very bad way, the way that you are talking to me right now? Do you think I don't care about that there are so many questions that that roll in my mind Mm -hmm. but when those situations occur Mm -hmm. man you gotta nip it in the bud as quick as you can and if you don't if you don't want it to to go all uh, out of the place I would separate myself entirely those situations they popped up I hated them each time there's nothing enjoyable about them because there's so much rage. One, as an African-American, we already deal with so much rage, so much adversity, so much turmoil in ourselves on top of the added condition, the added place where we are in our life, the things that we can't change about ourselves. 
all almost like rolling into one pot because it's like, okay, whoa, you do know I'm black, right? You you get that. You have to get that. You understand. You see my features, mm-hmm. right? You see that. Don't what what is what is this? What is this? What about me makes you feel comfortable being the way that you are right now? Why are you the way that you are right now? About my people, man. That there's so many things there that boil me up. I don't want to dwell on it for too long, but it's that's a whole thing. I and I hate it when it does happen. Yeah, I can't imagine. It's so like you said, like what makes you feel so comfortable to say this around me, but also I think when no one's present that you don't feel threatened by, it's like what is that? What's the deal with that? And you're right. As soon as this happened, the only way is to find the exit plan because it's not looking good, you know. Yeah. Exactly. What is one thing you wish people would know about albinism that maybe they get wrong or maybe that you get commonly asked? Um, are both of your parents black? Yes. Yes, they are. Please, please stop asking us that. And we're African-American. Nine times out of ten, our parent, both of our parents are black. Yes. If there are situations where they aren't. You know, albinism can occur in every race and every single living organism. It's a chance that that can that that can happen. It can happen to an alligator. It can happen to a cockroach. It can happen to a kangaroo. Albinism is everywhere. All right. So you know that I'm black by if I introduce myself as African American. If that question so happens to pop up, yes, both of my parents are black. No, albinism does not come in one shade. We also come in different flavors. You have straight to the point vanilla. You can have a little caramel with you. You There could be blonde on top, pan at the bottom. There could be pale at the bottom, pan on top. You have, We come in different shades. So yeah. always be aware that come in different flavors. It's not just a black thing. It can happen to anyone. Yeah, for real. I think that sparked a children's book idea in my head. Like the like the children's book, like everyone poops or whatever it is. It's like albinism can happen to anybody, to anything. To right. Yeah, that's so true. Since you write so much, and since you. You are so poetic. I wondered if there's a message, a quote, a phrase that you lean into or have led your life living by. There's so many. <laughs> there's so many that that just ran to the front of my head. I think maybe the earliest quote that I learned and I just held on to. It, I, if I'm not mistaken, it was a quote by Albert Einstein. And the quote was, the world would not be destroyed by evil, but by those who see it and do nothing. And that just resonates with me in so many, in so many places, because I've seen so much evil happen, whether it's discrimination, bullying, or it's crime to another human being or human rights being violated entirely. I believe if you do nothing 
you are contributing to the problem. The we see it or we are listening, but what are you doing? And I guess I've kind of lended myself to go against that quote, to be the person that helps that kid, that stops that particular piece of violence. That is the action, the force that can stop this this evil, to be a light in a dark place. That quote, it, it was the earliest quote I believe I learned. I believe I learned that quote when I was about 10. Another one of my favorites is, he who says he can and he who says he can't are both usually right. And that's from Confucius. And that quote is essentially saying, whenever you utter the words, I cannot, I can't, you're only telling yourself what you believe is your truth. When we're children, we have, our mind has no limits. I'm sure you can relate when you were a kid. You probably want to rule the world, to be this princess or queen, or be this superhero that can run really fast, jump extremely high. We could create anything. We could solve every problem. We lose that about ourselves as time goes on, and we lose the ability to dream, to imagine. A lot of us get caught in reality, and we get so shit down so many no's so many so many failures so many people that don't believe in us we start to not believe in ourselves and allow our dreams to fade away into nightmares so that quote means a lot to me and remembering that when we say we can't we're only telling ourselves our limitations yeah essentially yeah, the mind is super powerful in that way. And if you convince yourself of such, then that's what it will be. So it's so true. Exactly, for sure. So I like to end my shows every episode asking people what brings you peace, because I think it's just important, especially in, oh my gosh, this hellish week of the election with this hellish year of this disease that probably taught us more than our, about ourselves than we wanted. I think it's always important mm-hmm. to kind of ground yourself in peace and what brings you that. So what brings you peace? Easily being in tune with myself and that's just to go in line with what, what makes me feel the most vulnerable. Being in tune with Robin brings me the most peace being able to understand myself and understand myself to such a point. Like when people say that they know themselves, they don't. You know the bare minimum about yourself. You know what you like, you know what you dislike, but do you really know yourself? Have you held up that mirror? And sometimes it's more important to step inside of that mirror. So what brings me the most peace is being in tune with myself and bigger than that even when I'm in tune with myself I can help other people become in tune with their selves I can help people that that makes my day being able to use this pain or use my experience to heal pain to show people how to slip and slide through these through these difficult times and areas that brings me peace that fulfills me in a way money love those things can't even feel that particular 
void, helping people, I feel is my calling, helping them in whatever way, that brings me the most peace, being in tune with myself and trying to save as many people as I can and help people save themselves. of all emotion i feel it the feelings weak i'm devoid of friendship loyalty anything that deceives i'm devoid of lust money financial stability i'm devoid of envy plaguing me watching you on tv not devoid of all humanity stabbing me in my sleep choking and drowning in blood i knew it the future's bleak i'm devoid of even my city believing in me i'm devoid of all love i leave you and let it be when I walk away, don't trip, believe it was probably me. I'm devoid of passion, sadness, ambition, and even grief. Beyond Ourselves is an original series produced and hosted by me, Taylor Camille. A variety of the series artwork shared here and on our Instagram, at Beyond Ourselves, are created by Carmen Johns and Sierra Hood. My hope is that these listenings have left you with a warm heart and an even cooler mind. I hope you are left feeling able to seek peace in the spaces and places you may find yourself in. If you're interested in being on the pod or have any compelling leads, please shoot us an email at info at And subscribe and share if you haven't already.